The design process allows us to grow and improve by systematically looking at weaknesses and designing ways to get better. What would it look like if an entire school was built on this concept? Today, we're going to find out. And welcome to episode 18 of the Education for a Better World podcast. I'm Mike Soskal. And I'm Diane Smokorowski. Each week, we will bring you conversations with some of the most dynamic thought leaders in education. This week's episode is sponsored by GoToScience, a tool that allows our youngest learners the opportunity to learn by going on adventures without leaving their classroom. We know that education will be the driving force for a bright, optimistic future. On each show, We'll introduce you to innovative ideas, we'll stretch your thinking, and help you see ways to empower students to affect positive change in the world. We are thrilled that you are coming along with us on this journey. Let's dream big. Before we get started today, I want to remind you of the really big announcement that Diane and I made last week. We're going to be leading a teacher adventure, and we want you to come along with us. We've partnered with Bookbag Tours to set up a two-week trip to Kenya in June of 2020. We'll be visiting some of the most unique schools in the world, leading incredible learning experiences, and collaborating with some of the world's most innovative educators. To join us, visit bookbagtours.com. When signing up for the trip, make sure you mention that you are an Education for a Better World podcast listener to get a $100 discount. We hope that you'll be joining us. Megan Power is an education leader with a passion for innovative thinking and supporting others in redesigning education. She's won many awards and recognitions throughout her career and just finished a year as one of five school ambassador fellows with the United States Department of Education. Megan, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about the Design 39 campus? So Design 39 campus is a fully public, like a district neighborhood school. Um, that is uh, TK, which in California is the grade below kindergarten to eighth grade. And we're about at 1,200 students. So one of the things that we were really trying to do was to change the way students experience learning. Um, and I had the opportunity to be on the design team and be one of the co-founders of Design 39 Campus. Um, this is our fifth year that we've had students. I've been working on it for about seven maybe longer than that for some other areas. Um, but again, we're really trying to focus on um, making students experience learning in a different way than they had previous experienced. Which is my favorite part of Design 39 Campus is that you really elevate student voice. You elevate student voice as much as you elevate teacher voice. So student voice at Design 39 Campus is extremely important. We want to make sure that we're not just empowering our students, but we're involving them and they're a part of every aspect of the school. Um, so whether it's learning experience and designing learning experiences with our teachers, we call them LEDs for short, learning experience designers. And um, students are involved in creating learning experiences and um, you know, make suggestions. For example, some of our fourth and fifth graders have just been finishing up. They just had an exhibition last week. And they were finishing up a, let's see, they created a sustainable city with this quarry uh, cardboard that is huge. It takes up a massive room. And um, the students, along with the LEDs, this was like kind of a culminating project 
um, as they're exploring all these different aspects of sustainable energy, of California and the missions. And the students figured out how they were going to organize themselves. And this is amongst all of our fourth and fifth graders. They kind of divided up and who was going to take what section of the town, who was going to take the sports area, who was going to take um, the foods and the businesses. And then what they, the kids realized was, hey, we need a town council. Like we're making decisions and it's affecting other people's you know, work. So we need to have a, a town council. So the kids, you know, and the LEDs sit there and they support them and, um, you know, help facilitate things. So they created this town council and then kids would be working on something and all of a sudden they tell their LED, we need to take this right away to the town council. And they would hurry off and they'd go meet with the kids and then the town council would help solve the problems. So, you know, that's just one example of our students being so empowered and beyond empowered, but really a part of this learning experience um, throughout campus. Um, they're very like engaged in the work that they're doing where you don't need adults standing over them. They feel very valued. They feel that their voice and their choices are important and not just to share, but to actually make changes and make a difference in things. Now you talked a little bit about fourth and fifth graders and one of the questions that I often hear when talking about turning learning over to students is we can't do that with kids that are that are really young like they just don't have the skills to be able to do that but in your school you're doing that with kids as young as pre-kindergarten so what does that look like in the younger grades? <laughs> Absolutely I have, I have many examples of all different grade levels I'll tell you about um, some of our first graders currently right now that I'm working with and um, what we did recently, we, we took math and said, how can, we, how can we really give student agency? A lot of people talk about agency and they talk about it as just simple choices. And that's a piece of it, right? How can we really push what we're doing with student agency, especially at the primary level? Um, so previous to this, these students have, um, they're very interested and they care about their learning, right? They understand how to learn. Um, they've acquired a lot of skills of um, being able to seek out information, independent skills. Um, but what we did was we took a concept of time. And it's very concrete, right? There's different steps in it. And the kids took an assessment and then evaluated their own assessment. This is in first grade to figure out what they've mastered with time and what they need to learn. Um, and then they set goals for themselves. And then we said, you have three weeks. You have 45 minutes each day. You are not going to wait around for an adult to teach you time. You're going to learn it yourself. You have plenty of choices. Here are a few ideas. And we set up an environment for them. So we took some of the skills such as um, drawing a clock or telling time to the hour, half hour. And we found videos for them to watch and made classes so they can go on to the skill that they need and they can watch videos if they need to. There's some great ones out there. We set up some you know, work pushed out on Seesaw that they could do if they chose it. There's games, there's a whole bunch of things. And then um, we as adults held seminars. So the kids could sign up for seminars and we had rock around the clock. We had um, where we, oh, it was like um, interior design with clocks. 
and kids can sign up for and that was looking at clocks in like modern interiors and these were kids that needed to work on how to draw a clock you know with the 12 and the 6 and the 3 and the 9 but just really fun engaging um, you know whether it was music or art or puppets or whatever students were interested in we made a giant clock and they actually made the numbers uh, the students were able to sign up for these you know 20 minute seminars to go in take a quick class and then use the rest of the time to work on whatever they wanted to work on. So um, again, what we told them was you have three weeks and at the end of the three weeks when we assess you again, you have to have at least grown in one area. And we're not teaching it to you. You have to learn it on your own. Um, and the results were amazing. So after three weeks, we assessed the kids, gave it back to them. They helped to analyze the assessments and we have a little chart with, we do competency based. So they were able to color in what skills they've mastered and what skills they have now mastered after the three weeks. And the excitement in the room with these first graders was crazy. They were running outside like to body, to recess. We call it body break. And oh my gosh, I grew in four areas. <laughs> And I had one little boy, little first grader, and he wouldn't let go of his paper. Like he had it out at recess with him because he was so excited and so proud of himself. Like I did it. So we were really trying to work on obviously all the content, right? And the skills of telling time. But it was really about how are you as a learner? What choices did you make? And then they evaluated. Here's what I did during my time. Here's what was helpful to me. Here's what was not helpful to me. And then here's what I liked about the seminars. Um, I had one little boy that one of the days he came over to me after he wrote down kind of he logged in what he did just to help them out. And he was like, well, I started doing this thing. And then I realized, well, it's not really helping me meet my goal. So I switched and started doing this other thing. And it's just great to see these kids taking ownership of their learning and not just choosing, you know, what they want to learn or how they want to learn. It's kind of putting all of those aspects together. So it was so successful. We are currently working on that with money with this group. They also, you know, are really getting creative this time around. There's a group of about six kids and they are going on and on making, they found this video with a song about the coins, identifying the coins and the value. And they're turning it into this like play that they're doing. And they have these big giant coins they're holding up and they're recording it. So they're turning it into a video and they've got singing and dancing. This is a quarter, 25 cents. <laughs> and they're dancing around and filming each other and then, you know, uh, saving it, airdropping it to each other and posting it up to our e-portfolio to share with their parents and just being really creative with the skills that they have figured out they want to work with. So this is just one of many examples of even at the primary level, giving students the reins to their learning. And they will, um, they'll really go great places. Including kindergarten and first graders designing a 5K. Yes. Uh, yep. We had they designed the whole event. Yep. Yeah, we had a group of kinder and first graders last year that um, we have a um, center locally that just opened up for Alzheimer's patients. And they were very interested in what this center was. Um, so they then learned all about Alzheimer's and about memories and really wanted to do something about it. So they approached the teachers like, we're learning about it. But we want to help these people. We want to help them. Um, and they found out that they wanted to plant a garden. So they were able to support them with that. And the kids at the same time were learning about measurements and all of those other skills. 
And then they put on this, I think there was over 700 people that participated in this walk for Alzheimer's created by the kindergarten and first graders. They mapped out where they were stopping. They had stations for snack and water and um, really pulled everybody in. Even the Alzheimer's Foundation came, they donated all these t-shirts and just were amazed by what these kindergarten and first graders were able to do. So a lot of times you're right, people think, well, you can do that with the older kids, but the younger kids can't. And that's something we, we love to prove wrong. That is spectacular. I, I love that so much. So as, as you're talking, one of the things that I'm thinking is that the role of the teacher has to be fundamentally different in your school than it is in a traditional school. That's one of the things that um, was important to us as we changed the language. If we want to change the way we think, we need to change the way we speak. So, um, for example, teacher, and, you know, we'll go back and forth between teacher and LED, especially because we talk with so many people when they visit our campus. Um, but what we really wanted to do is change that image of a teacher. So a lot of times when you think of teacher, you think of a person standing in front of the room, you know, teaching and telling the kids facts or information, right? Um, but really that adult is a facilitator of learner, learning. Um, so we changed it to an LED, a learning experience designer, to really kind of shift the thinking of it's not your job to necessarily just teach. You're designing learning experiences for and with students and with colleagues. So with that us really thinking about what a teacher is, what an LED is. We went back to the teacher job, job description and kind of revamped that a bit. And now after five years, we're back to it again, um, looking at attributes and qualities um, of teams because we work in a collaborative environment. Um, so really, yes, the, the role of the teacher is not to follow this content and deliver it to students. So that word delivery, you don't hear ever around our campus. It's about, um, you know, exposing and exploring and, you know, a lot of other types of um, verbs that we're doing, but we're really working in this collaborative environment. And that's something a lot of times in a traditional school you might have teams that you collaborate where it's, you know, copying papers or sharing an activity. And we've tried to really change um, and really extend what collaboration actually looks like in the teaching profession. And we've got some of our teams are fantastic at it. And some of our teams are still working through that collaboration. As adults, it's challenging. So we've been doing a lot of adult learning on how do you work in a team? How do you collaborate together? Um, how do you pitch out ideas? What are skills that we can work on as adult learners? Um, and then how do you take curriculum and content standards and then interests of students? And how do you kind of blend that all together? So we have in our schedule, we have an hour of collaboration every morning that is built into our schedule. So we purposely did that because we wanted to make sure that our adult learners are able to get together with their teams every morning um, to plan and design those learning experiences because we're not just, you know, following a set curriculum, we're designing that. We have to take into account where are our students at? Um, you know, what are some of their needs? What are their interests? What are their passion areas? What haven't they explored yet? Um, looking at assessment data. And yes, you know, looking at Common Core standards or next gen and really trying to be creative and kind of mash this all together with that at the same time, allowing for that student voice to be in it as well. It's, it's a lot of work um, and it is, it's totally worth it.
Before we continue, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our sponsors. Every week I talk to you about GoToScience. It is an absolutely incredible tool that helps pre-K through second grade students learn reading, math, and the rest of the core curriculum by using scientific inquiry to drive their learning. Students love going on virtual adventures around the world and taking initiative in their own learning. Each month, we give away a free one-year subscription. To win this month, simply share the podcast website with your followers on either Twitter or Facebook. Our website is ed4betterworld.com. In the beginning of the show, I mentioned the teacher adventure that Diane and I are going to be leading. We are proud to partner with Bookbag Tours. What I love about Bookbag Tours is that they understand what teachers need and what they want. Monthly payment plans are offered so that you don't have to come up with the full amount of money for any trip all at once. To book the trip with Diane and I to Kenya, or any of the other amazing trips that they offer, visit bookbagtours.com. Finally, I wanted to remind you that Diane and I are available to speak at your conference or visit your school to work with your teachers. We're passionate about helping teachers incorporate project and problem-based learning, global experiences, and the design process into lessons so that kids feel empowered and see the relevance of school. We create experiences for teachers so that they can create experiences for students. Visit our website to send us an inquiry. Now, let's get back to the show. As our LEDs, they're not cutting and prepping and, you know, um, the typical type of prep work. Um, there's a lot of, you know, designing and thinking about what is this content? Why are we learning this content? You know, what, how is it purposeful? How can I make it purposeful in real life? And, you know, connecting with the outside world outside of the walls of education, right? If we're working on this, um, for example, we've got um, a lot of our students, especially our second and third graders, uh, participate in this Maker Fair that we have, Maker 39. And this is where students create businesses. And we just recently last week had a Shark Tank where our second and third graders pitched to actual investors. And they're all dressed up. Most of them are in like suits or, you know, professional clothes. And they pitch their prototypes. They're asking for funding. And I know they're waiting on uh, pins and needles currently right now to see what 39 businesses get selected. Um, but during that time, before they do the Shark Tank, there's been a lot of reaching out to um, actual entrepreneurs and actual business owners and bringing them into the classroom to do talks with our students on branding, on marketing, on um, you know, market research, any of these aspects of business. So our teachers have to kind of think you know, beyond the reading, writing, math, science, social studies and think about that world. It's like I said, it's definitely a lot of work. And at the same time, it's really exciting and really purposeful work, and I wouldn't want to do it any other way. <laughs> well, and one of my favorite pieces that comes from Design 39 is not only are you rethinking every term from the, the office being the welcome center or the health center versus the nurse's office, but you're also rethinking how, do, how does the community work within the school? Mm -hmm. So can you share just a little bit about how uh, you do exhibition nights and maybe even tap into how you run parent education through your exhibitions? Absolutely. So yes, we just had um, three exhibitions on Thursday, all on the same day last week. It was quite fun. <laughs> um, so one of the simplest things that we did was um, instead of having our parents coming in for holidays, like you would typically see at schools, I know previous schools that I've worked at, 
um, we wanted to have our parents coming in to celebrate learning. So we say the holidays are family time. You celebrate holidays with your family at home. We'll still celebrate the holidays and learn about the holidays with our family here at school. But where we want our parents to come in is to celebrate the students' learning. So um, we'll have um, exhibitions multiple times throughout the year. Um, sometimes they fall on the same day like we had last Thursday. Um, it really depends on the content that, and, and the work that the students are doing. But this is our chance for our kids to bring their parents in and we'll have them different times during the day, some at night, some during the school day. Um, and we get, if not 100% of our parents, we're very close to 100% of our parents. Um, our fourth and fifth grade had an exhibition on Thursday and their entire hallway on the top of one of our floors was packed. And they did two exhibitions, one at night and one during the day, and they were both packed. Um, so this is a chance for our parents also to get a glimpse and to get an understanding of how learning is happening at school. So, you know, I'm a parent also at the school. I have a, set, I have a third grader and a fourth grader. And they're always coming home telling about what they're doing at school. And they're excited about it. And especially when they have an exhibition. They are telling us, we're, they're putting it on the parents' calendars, making sure that parents are coming in. And this is their chance to show off whether it's, you know, writing or a movie that they make or this giant city or a student business or biographies, any type of learning that they're doing. This is a chance for them to be able to um, show this to their parents and for their parents to kind of see um, all of the learning that they've been working on here. Um, one of the things, and we're not um, all doing this, but it's something that I think we're working towards, is um, I know before my exhibitions, I have my parents come in for about 15, 20 minutes, and I walk them through the entire, kind of not the entire project, but I walk them through a lot of the pieces of the project. So that way when they go to talk with their students and see their students work, they have the context of it. Because it's not just about the product, it's about the process that the kids went through. So it's about, um, you know, that child that was working really hard and, oh my goodness, was going in this direction that wasn't the best direction he wanted to go in and had to then redo it and persevered through it. You know, it's about all of those stories of that pride, that perseverance, that resilience, that change. And all of those are important skills that we want our, our students and dispositions that we want our students to have. So being able to share some of those stories with parents and to give them some context so that way they go into the exhibition um, seeing it, they see the standards, they see the skills that the, the students worked on, they see the dispositions. Um, it really helps too. A lot of times during exhibitions, we'll have feedback from parents, whether it's uh, an online form that sometimes the kids are requesting feedback from their parents um, or it's from the whole class, but really looking at different um, aspects of the exhibition or of the students' work giving them you know, compliments and also suggestions of next step and feedback. So trying to involve our parents in their children's learning. You talked earlier about competencies-based assessment and reporting. Can you talk a little bit about how grading is done differently in your school compared to possibly some other schools? Yes. <laughs> so when we started Design 39 Campus five years ago, we brought a lot of our parents in and really asked them about report cards and if they found report cards to be helpful or not. 
And the feedback we found was um, in our elementary schools, it's typically a number. So three would be at grade level at this time, four would be above and two would be below. And what our parents um, shared with us was that it didn't really tell them much information. It didn't tell them where their child was or what their child needed to work on. Um, so we started really working on competency-based, which is very challenging to jump off and get started, but it's, it's good work and it's the right work. Um, we started five years ago with these growth guides where we were breaking down these different skills and showing where students were able to um, grow and what level they were working at regardless of what grade they were in. And our first time around, we gave the parents way too much information. <laughs> it was way too much that there were some that loved it that were like, you know, data geeks like me and they're looking at that form like, oh, this is great. But most of them, it was extremely too much information. Um, so we've kind of made some shifts and changes over the years. Um, we're still obviously doing the competency base and, and we're still working through it even after five years. So how we can make sure that we have um, the competencies, what are those assessments that we have that, you know, if I've got a third grader that's maybe working at a, a step four, a fourth grade or fifth grade level, I need to make sure that what I think of a fourth and fifth grade level is consistent with our LEDs that are working at the fourth and fifth grade level. So what are some of those assessments that we have that are common that we can agree on at the same time understanding that not everybody shows their learning in the exact same way. So it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting um, challenge as we're looking at this competency base. Um, I was actually having a discussion this morning with, um, we, have, we have a principal at our school, even though we're shared leadership, and him and I, we were talking about um, competencies, and there's that knowledge piece, and then there's the skills and dispositions of, of that, and should we assess skills and dispositions, or should we not? Is that self-reflection, and just kind of really taking what we have for our competencies to the next level. So we're still, uh, it's still a work in process, and I think it always will be. Some of the great work that is happening around campus, um, students are self-evaluating and being able to, you know, look at the competencies to determine where they are in the competency along with the, you know, LED support, and then knowing where they need to go next, what they need to work on to be able to bump up and move, you know, to the next level in the competency. Um, just because you're a fourth grader doesn't mean you're working at fourth grade content. You're working at content at that area of need. So, it, yeah, it's, it, it's great to see our students talking about where they are in competencies and what they need to work on. Um, and it's exciting also for our parents to see, instead of just having, yes, your child's working at grade level, above grade level, or below grade level, they can see, you know, in which areas their child is far above or working at their level, and they can support them at home that way. So, again, it's a work in progress. Um, we've gotten pretty far, but we still have a lot of work to do with that. But you're kind of pioneering ideas that many people have read about but never implemented. So it's, it is hard work, but like you said, it's the right work to do. So my, my next question for you um, stems from the idea of teacher leadership and teachers having agency to make changes and write curriculum and so forth. How do you design a unit, a project with a collaborative group of people and I know you guys set it up by a whole year a project is all mapped out with this beautiful artwork and I mean how does that all work you're hitting on like kind of two two areas right that teacher leadership and 
here's one of the things, one of the challenges as a lot of schools are trying to transition and make changes in their system, you've got to make sure you systematically make the change throughout the whole system. So it cannot just be expecting our students to be able to collaborate and do this type of work. Our teachers have to be working in that environment and our administrators have to be working in that environment. It kind of all trickles down and that's something that typically gets missed. Um, so that's something that we've really worked on is making sure all adults on campus have gone through um, thinking collaborative, it's adaptive schools training. So how do you work in a collaborative environment? Um, so almost all of us have been through it and those that haven't, we've unofficially kind of given them a lot of the um, strategies so that they can you know, thrive in our environment. And that's at the adult level. And then we bring that down to the student level and help our students to work in that environment. Um, another thing is, is trust. We have to trust our students and we have to trust our teachers, right? Supporting them, giving them the tools they need, um, giving them the environment and the opportunity. But we have to make sure that we have the trust in them, that it's okay to take those risks. You know, with that first grade group that, um, you know, three weeks for 45 minutes, you're learning time on your own. You know, a teacher that doesn't feel like they have that trust and they have um, the ability to take, you know, some of those risks, if they don't have that trust, they're not going to do it. And that piece is extremely important um, to make sure that we have in place. Um, in our environment, we do have that teacher leadership that is part of our culture. And it's that culture that everybody here is making the school what it is. It's not just one person. It's not the admin. You don't need to ask permission to do anything. Um, you know, if it's right and if it's what's good for students, then we can do it. Now, as far as decision making, you know, we have our own, you know, protocols. And that's something when you have shared leadership that you need to make sure decisions are still being made. And any decision you make could affect other people. So making sure we have protocol in place. Um, to support decision making um, is important also. I think the piece that you're, you're getting to is um, after you have that culture, right, then you can really get down into those um, working collaboratively and designing those learning experiences with a group of teachers, which I think is where your question was going. Um, part of it is having that time in the morning to be able to support adult learners with designing learning experiences, giving them the tools of how do you work in a collaborative collaborative environment, giving them that trust. Um, all of these pieces come together and then that space to be creative, you know, to not just all of a sudden, you know, dive in with here's this activity, here's what we're doing, here's the assessment for it. But really thinking about, you know, what is our essential question? And what are the pieces that go with that? And go through this entire brainstorm. And that's, we have design studios that our LEDs work in in the morning. And um, some of our design studios have, as you mentioned from your tour, um, great, like, they have their thinking all posted on the wall. So they're mapping out and brainstorming and really working as a collaborative team because it's not just about one person's ideas, right? I might see it through this lens. Somebody else is going to see it from this lens. And we really, truly believe that every person has superpowers. And when you get a team of people together, um, feeling trusted, feeling, you know, cared about, that they can then throw out their ideas and, you know, work together to create this amazing experience for students and with students. It's really incredible to watch. And again, it's a lot of adult learning um, that we have to work on here and how do we actually 
do what we're wanting our students to do. If we want our students to work in collaborative communities, then we as adults also need to do that as well. I love how you're flattening the hierarchy um, yes. all the way from the administration down to the students. I love it. <laughs> and the other thing that I love is how um, you haven't used these exact words, but the design process is really infused into everything that goes on in the school from, from students designing their own learning experiences to teachers coming together to brainstorm, find out what works, and then, and then building upon that. Uh, the question that I have for you is, so this is a radically different way of, of doing school. And your students then go on to a more traditional school, I'm guessing, afterwards. What is that transition like for them? Uh, the high school question. I've never, ever gone. And Diane, you know this now, that it's almost always the high school question comes up, right? <laughs> um, great question. We get it from parents. We get it from everybody all the time. So one of the things is education is changing all around. And all schools all over are making changes. You know, some can move faster than others. Some are making, um, you know, smaller changes. So um, the school that our students are going to um, or are zoned to go to are also making changes. Um, another thing is that our students are able to adapt. They're resilient. They understand themselves as learners and they understand what they need to do to be able to accomplish a task, whether it's getting ready for an exhibition or whether it's taking a, a test or um, you know, whatever it is that they're going to need to do to be able to adapt into the environment um, with really understanding who they are and what strengths they bring. Um, what we found, because we have now two groups of kids that are over at the high school now, we've got some kids that are freshmen and some kids that are sophomores, and what we're finding is, um, not surprising, is their leadership skills, um, their problem solving, their ability to use, yes, design thinking and um, work collaboratively in a group, um, you know, speaking, all of those skills they're excelling at. Um, and as far as all the content, they're doing at or above what their peers are doing. So um, they are being successful in high school they're enjoying it and they come back to campus. We just recently interviewed some alumni, right? They're ninth and 10th graders and they came on campus and they were like, we're home. <laughs> they still really feel connected to Design 39 campus. And that's one of those things that also we talk with our parents about is, um, you know, there's this notion of getting ready for high school, right? Or getting ready for college, but it's really, it's really being life ready. And you don't have to wait to be life ready. You can be life ready right now. You can be working on those skills at four or five years old. Um, so really making sure that our students, yes, as far as academic content wise, they're completely fine. They'll do well wherever they go. Um, and we wanna add also all of these other skills and dispositions um, that will take them very far in life. All right, Mike, one last question. <laughs> So Megan, we asked this question of all of our guests, and we're gonna ask you to do it in only one or two sentences. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the toughest part. If you could change <laughs> education in some way to make the world a better place, what would you do? I would work with all educators to be able to create environments where all students, all learners feel excited and want to learn so that they can really change the world. Thank you for joining us today. Please visit our website at edforbetterworld.com. That's ed, E-D, the number four, betterworld.com for show notes, 
and to learn more about inviting Mike and I to lead a workshop for your teachers. And don't forget to check the other podcast-related goodies. We want to thank Megan Power for being a guest on today's show. Credit for music on the show goes to Midair Machine. Join us next week as we talk with 2012 Maryland Teacher of the Year, Josh Parker, about how we can make our school system equitable for all. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation and that it gave you some new ideas and perspectives. Through education and action, we can create a better world. Until we're together again, continue to dream big. And affect positive change. <laughs>